Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you come back this week and ready to study the Bible with us. If you're not a regular viewer, let me give you a quick introduction to what we do. We answer Bible questions uh, in the hopes that we know our Bible a little bit better at the end of 30 minutes. You'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of your screen. Use those anytime you want to. Get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And you direct the program. That's the way it works. So uh, we get a lot of real deep. Detailed questions, we get some uh, general doctrinal questions, we get questions about life. What's the Bible say about this uh, family situation or this thing at work? And we, we try to find Bible answers for you. So that's what we do, and uh, we just try to answer as many as we can each week, and that's all we do on this program. So stay tuned, and we'll try to answer some questions for you. When I say we, I mean me, Steve Tandy, and my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here, and uh, both studied up a little bit here and see if we can answer some of these right. But we always start with one for our viewers, so let's give you one. Who asked for Jesus to do his first miracle? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know. And let's see, Toby drew the first one, so you get to kick yep. us off today. Question about one man with two names. Where does it say in the Bible that God changed Saul's name to Paul? Well, <clears throat> if you read a lo any of the, Old Te or the New Testament for even just a little bit, uh, past the Gospel accounts, uh, it will be hard to miss the influence of a man named, pa mostly known as Paul. However, uh, Paul, uh, his original name, the name by which he was known in the church, uh, in the early church, started out as Saul. Um, the um, Saul was a righteous man. He was a, a Hebrew. He had, was a Pharisee. He'd been trained in the law. He knew the law, and he was uh, very zealous. Uh, for the Lord, and he, I think, sincerely uh, was trying to always do what was right. And when Christianity began, and as the church began to spread, he saw that not as uh, something of God's doing, but he saw it as a, a threat to Judaism, as something that was a really anti-Judaism and was teaching things uh, and and detracting from the law and so forth. And so Saul. You know, I think in all sincerity of heart was doing what he thought was right. I'm not saying he was right, but he thought he was. Um, in Acts chapter 9, we read the story of his conversion. Now, uh, this will not be on the screen, but I'll just read part of it. Uh, Luke records this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters, uh, for letters to synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any in there who belonged to the way, which is what they uh, referred to as for Christianity and the church, 
uh, whether they were men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Well, uh, the, the, Saul, uh, the account that Luke gives us goes on to tell us of the conversion story of Saul. Uh, he was blinded and had scales and had to be led around, and eventually he came uh, to understand that what he was doing was wrong. Uh, he converted to Christianity. He was baptized, and uh, he began, he just did a, 180 degree change. He, instead of threatening the church and persecuting the church, he became absolutely uh, uh, changed man, and he began to preach and and to uh, uh, be, be sent out and uh, be a missionary and plant churches. And of course, the church is a little bit skeptical because they had heard what Saul had done previously. Uh, but what a beautiful story about how Jesus changes a person, in, in Saul's case, quite radically. Now, in the, uh, to your question of, of his name change, we, his, he was called by the name Saul all the way until Acts chapter, uh, through Acts chapter 12. Then, in Acts chapter 13, Luke mentions another name. Uh, we're never told exactly what the reasoning was for this change uh, or that God made it, just that he was also called Paul. Um, Paul was a Roman citizen uh, in addition to all of his other qualifications. This Paul may have been his Roman name uh, was one theory. Um, a Roman name would certainly have been more helpful as he spread the message of the gospel and the the news of Jesus to the Gentiles. So uh, the, the scriptures never really say why his name was changed only or why he was referred to as both Saul and Paul but only that he was so let's look now at Acts chapter 13 verse 9 and Luke writes but Saul who was also called Paul filled with the Holy Spirit looked intently at him so uh, Saul Paul referring both to the same man but of course in all his letters he refers to himself as Paul hope that helps all right, got a question about resurrection and the afterlife and all of that. John 5.28 says, our bodies will rise from the grave for judgment. Uh, why do we need our bodies when our spirit's already in heaven? All right, viewers got a good question here. And we get a lot of questions about the afterlife and how all that's going to work. And, uh, the basic answer is we're not told a whole lot about it. We're told some basics, and our viewers got two basics right here. It says that our bodies will be raised when Jesus comes back for the final judgment. And it also says that when we die, our spirits depart the body and they go to be with the Lord. So our spirits are already with the Lord and our bodies are buried and will be resurrected someday. And our viewer wants to know, why do we need our bodies? We're already there. Well, uh, what we need in heaven and why we'll need our bodies uh, is, that, well, that's way beyond my pay grade. Uh, why God chose to do it that way, I don't know. Uh, he just says he will, and therefore he will, and it'll work out just fine. Uh, what God says will happen, will happen. I think 
maybe we should talk about this a moment. I think the concept that we have, that we see in cartoons and things, of uh, spirit kind of white-robed spiritual being floating around on the clouds uh, is not what heaven's going to be like, I don't believe. I think that's a bad misconception. Uh, We're going to have a resurrection body of some sort in the new heaven and the new earth is what God calls it. And uh, because of that, I think it's going to be a lot more physical than we think it will be. Uh, Understand that God made the earth uh, for the benefit of man and the pleasure of man. Uh, When it was originally created, the garden was a perfect place. Uh, Of course, they fell and the earth fell and things got bad. But uh, that was God's original creation. And when he says he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth... I think there may be some design features that are kind of similar uh, and maybe a little more physical than we think about heaven someday. So we don't know what it's going to be like, but we are going to have a resurrection body. Now let me talk about that just a moment, or let me let Paul talk about that a little bit, about uh, a viewer wants to know why we need a body. Well, here's what Paul says about that. In fact, he talks about resurrection and the fact that there will be a resurrection, and then he realizes somebody's going to ask a question just like this person asked. So he says in verse 35 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that's a good chapter to read, 1 Corinthians 15, and in verse 35 he says, but someone may ask, Uh, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Well, here's what Paul says about that. How foolish. Uh, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Okay, So Paul says, well, just look at nature. You plant a wheat seed, you don't get an exact replica of a wheat seed. You get a tall plant with lots of seeds on top. It looks completely different. Uh, you plant a, an oak seed, and you get something completely different. So he says that about nature. And then down in verse 42, he says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. So everything we know about the resurrection body is right there. It's going to be different. It's going to be fit for a spiritual world. Uh, The body that we have is fit for this physical fallen world. And we're going to get a resurrection body that's fit for our heavenly domain. So uh, it'll be different. We're going to need it for some reason. And God's going to take care of all of it. Uh, I think it's going to be more glorious than we can possibly imagine or uh, conceive of. So looking forward to seeing you there. And uh, I think we'll recognize each other, too. I, I don't have much proof for that, but I think we will. It's, it's going to be good, yeah. however, it, however, whatever it is and however it works. So, uh, Simple question a viewer wants to know, is infant baptism necessary? Well, my assumption as you ask the question is that you mean, is infant baptism necessary for salvation? My answer to that is no. Baptism 
is something that you do in response to, in obedience to uh, Jesus uh, to accept the free gift of His grace. Uh, baptism is is a person saying, I, you know, I believe Jesus, I trust Jesus, and I'm going to obey Jesus. And it's part of uh, you know one coming to Christ and saying, yes, I I want to take that gift and and be a Christian, uh, and that's a, a good thing. But an infant, <clears throat> uh, you can technically uh, could, could baptize them, although uh, technically speaking, most people sprinkle them, which is not baptizing them. And, uh, it, you know, uh, there's a couple of different uh, viewpoints on that. One is, uh, if you're a parent doing this as a more of a dedication, to say, we want to raise this child to know the Lord and fear the Lord and raise uh, him or her in a Christian home, uh, that's that's fine to do, and that's that's okay to do. Uh, but if you're doing it as a part of their salvation or doing it, uh, the the reason that some churches practice infant sprinkling or pouring, uh, uh, pouring sprinkling water over infants' head, is because they believe in the doctrine of original sin. Uh, that is the doctrine that uh, one that human beings are born sinful and born in sin. And we don't subscribe to that creed or doctrine on this program. We believe that God creates all people and creates them in His image and that God doesn't create sinful beings. Now, we believe eventually uh, all human beings will fall into sin and make the choice to sin. We, we understand that. But we don't believe that children, uh, that babies are born in a sinful condition. So, um, and if the, the the outreach of the belief that a baby is born sinful is that hey we have to remedy that sin as quickly as possible so that if God forbid something happened to the child in birth, uh, at a young age or just right after it's born it would be okay spiritually speaking and we believe that God will take care of all the children uh, uh, children that die shortly after birth or maybe even before birth that's a terrible tragedy. Uh, but baptism is just not necessary or part of the process to deal with that. Uh, infants, little children are innocent, uh, spiritually speaking, until they understand uh, the idea of sin and that their sin has eternal consequences and that it separates them from God. So, uh, baptized, pouring, sprinkling would be just, it's just something that's done to a child. And that's the other part of it that, you know, a person is baptized because they are making the choice. They choose to believe. They choose to profess that Jesus is Lord. They choose to repent of sin. Those are all personal decisions, not the things done to them. And so uh, that's another reason infant baptism is not necessary. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, uh, the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a sermon and, and their response to it led Peter to tell them to do something. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We understand that was a personal decision that they made and that they had to choose to make. And, of course, infants uh, are not able to have faith. They're not able to make such decisions. Uh, most of the time, they're not able to profess Jesus, and so uh, neither do they need to be baptized. So hope that clarifies. Okay. You mentioned that uh, 
a lot of people or some people may do an infant baptism ceremony as a dedication mm-hmm. and saying we want to raise this child right and in the mm-hmm. church and in Christ and all that. Uh, and yes, it's certainly uh, a good idea in some ways. A lot of people do that kind of dedication or commitment ceremony without any uh, water or sprinkling or mm-hmm. anything like mm-hmm. that, which is just as effective or more effective uh, because the focus then is it's really on the parents mm-hmm. saying yeah. we have this new baby and we want the church to pray for us right. we want help in raising him yeah. and it's a good symbolic Fine. thing uh, adding the the water part to it mm-hmm. gives a lot of people the wrong idea yeah. do think like you said that Okay, this is somehow changing the child and all that. Right. Uh, it doesn't. So probably a simple dedication or commitment sure. ceremony would be uh, probably more effective in some ways. And well, and the, and it's good that parents are thinking in that yeah. way, that they're thinking yeah, spiritually exactly. about that child at a young age. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and as long as the child understands that, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you were born, we committed you to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, kind of like Hannah did, except uh-huh. maybe uh-huh. without giving him away. <laughs> 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 All right, let me take this moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we've got some courses that we think are great ways to study the Bible, and they're good tools to get you started in a Bible study. If you're not a regular Bible student, you see eight lessons here on the screen. It's our opening course, and it's real basic. It starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament, so you know the difference between those two big parts of your Bible. Then we've got some more advanced courses that take you into much more detail of certain parts of the Bible, and when you're done with all our regular courses there, you'll know a whole lot more about the Bible. Uh, We've added some other courses that will keep you busy for a long time if you want, and you can actually do these online also. You don't have to go through the mail and wait for your graded lessons to come back. You can do them instantly on your PC or tablet or phone and uh, study the Bible that way. So there's a special website there. Use that and uh, connect with that online Bible study. Uh, However you want to study the Bible, we've got some ways to help. So use our phone number, our website, or that special website, and uh, we'll get you started studying the Bible. You'll know some more about your Bible. All right, got a question we get every once in a while because it's kind of a thing that we don't understand. Viewer wants to know, what's the parable about old and new cloth? and old and new wineskins mean. Uh, Well, let me set the stage a little bit. That's found in Mark chapter 2. And the context is Jesus had been asked about fasting. Uh, His apostles were following him around. His disciples were not fasting. And some people said, hold on, how come your followers aren't fasting? And Jesus said, well, it's not time. They've got me with them. Why would they be fasting? Uh, when I'm gone, they'll have time to fast. His point was, uh, I'm, I'm the Lord, I'm with them, and nothing to, they got me constantly. They can seek me anytime they want. Uh, they don't need to go through the process of fasting. So after he had answered that in Mark chapter 2, he said this in verse uh, about 20, 21 somewhere. Let's look at the last part of this passage, Mark chapter uh, 2, 18 through 22. I, I see I've got 8 wrong there. It's Mark chapter 2. Uh, 
He said, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And then he goes on and says, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. Well, if you lived in those times, well, the sewing one we understand today. I don't know if people patch clothes anymore or not, but uh, people used to. And if you put a piece of new cloth on an old garment, when you wash them the next time, uh, the new part will shrink and the old part's already shrunk and it'll look bad. So Jesus knew that. And in the old days, when they put wine in a wine skin, a goat skin or something to hold it, uh, new wine uh, ferments, it expands, it gets bigger. So if you put it in an old, dried, crusty wine skin, it'll blow the wine skin up. So you put it in new wine skin, and it goes together. Well, that's a long way to say what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, it doesn't fit. Uh, old cloth on new cloth doesn't fit. New wine and old wineskins doesn't fit. Fasting while the Lord is here doesn't fit. So that's all he's trying to explain to them, that this just doesn't go together. And uh, when I'm gone, then my followers can fast. All right. A person asked the question about, uh, I heard, and we always got to be careful with I heard. I heard that the Bible says it only takes two people to make a church. Is that true? Well, not exactly. Uh, now, I, I'll be quite upfront. I mean, there may be people watching. It may be part of a very small church, maybe just a few people meeting. And maybe in theory there is a church out there with just a couple of people left. Uh, there are situations like that. But uh, where the Bible speaks about this is not exactly talking about uh, church size or church attendance. Um, it's a misunderstanding, I think, from Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses uh, 18 through 20. And uh, Jesus there is speaking, and he says, uh, Therefore, whatever you bind on earth will be, shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I say to you, if two are of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, uh, we do, if we back up just a little bit and understand that Jesus is speaking to the apostles and no doubt uh, as he Jesus would send them out, as Jesus eventually uh, would leave them and as they would be left to start and establish and spread and grow the church uh, uh, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, uh, they were going to have times where they had to make decisions and uh, do things and they needed some way of doing that. Jesus is saying, you know, basically, uh, you know, when you're when you're in agreement, when you're together, uh, I'm with you in that. So I, I'm entrusting these things to you. Now, you see this scripture uh, interpreted pretty loosely for a number of things. Um, I've heard people say, well, you know, I take a, a, a fishing trip with my buddy and we're both out there in the boat and we're technically having church. Well, <laughs> I think technically you're fishing uh, with your Christian buddy, but uh, don't misinterpret the Scripture. We have to be, uh, we have to cut it straight when we interpret the Bible and that's probably the main issue on this question when we're dealing with something that we hear, that we think. We need to look exactly what does the Bible say and then back out and get a bigger, bigger and better picture of the context. And the context here, Jesus is 
speaking to the apostles uh, how to handle issues that would come up in the early church. Uh, when you have two or three witnesses, that was sort of the standard under, under the Jewish uh, law. And he's saying, you know, basically, effectively, don't let one person make all the decisions uh, because one person's not in charge of the church. So uh, I hope that clarifies it just a little bit uh, and uh, help us understand how to cut Scripture straight and, and read it right as we think about it. hope that helps. All right. We want to know why are tax collectors in the Bible so dishonest? Well, it sounds like profiling to me, a little stereotyping. <laughs> Not all of them were, but they're certainly generally considered to be dishonest. I don't think it ever says Matthew was dishonest, uh, but most of the others we read about had a little problem, like Zacchaeus. Uh, well, nobody likes the IRS, but Roman tax collectors were a whole lot worse, uh, were really different. Uh, imagine this scene. Rome had occupied... Palestine and collected taxes from people. To do that, they employed locals and gave them the power of tax collection. And basically the way it worked pretty much was they told the tax collector, we want this much in taxes from your area and whatever you get over that you can keep. Uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but that's kind of how it worked. And on top of that, here's the Roman soldiers. If you need some backup, you need somebody to enforce you, you can use the Roman soldiers. Well, to our viewers' question, why were tax collectors dishonest? Uh, Because they could be. Uh, They had that opportunity. And I think that's why they were dishonest. They were hated because they worked for the Romans. Uh, They were hated because they kind of stole from their own people. So uh, why they were dishonest is that they went into that work because they could make some dishonest gains. So um, that's just the way it was in the first century and probably still is in some parts of the world. You go to a third world country and the border guard can charge you a little extra fee to let you into the country just because he can. Uh, So that's how it worked. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ. We're sponsored by the Churches of Christ. And today we want to mention the home church of Know Your Bible, Northside Church of Christ, up at 4545 North Meridian. Uh, A great bunch of folks and uh, produce this program for you. And uh, we'd invite you to come visit us anytime. Toby and I are both there almost all the time and always happy to meet some of our viewers. Uh, we've got lots of supporters in other markets and uh, around Wichita and all the other 10 states we're seen in. So you're probably close to a Church of Christ, and we invite you to visit one of those sometime. Uh, maybe you know somebody that attends the Church of Christ. Uh, ask them if they know about Know Your Bible. And maybe they help support it, too, and you can tell them thank you. So uh, visit us sometime. If you're looking for a home church, uh, you'd certainly be warmly welcomed at any Church of Christ, and you'd find some folks that uh, study the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. Make sure we get our trivia question answered today. We got one about uh, Jesus' first miracle and who asked him to do it. Uh, kind of a unique one. Of course, his first one was unique, but this one was unique because his mother Mary did it. They were at a wedding, you remember, and uh, Mary looked around and saw that the host was running out of wine, and I asked Jesus to take care of that. So Jesus handled it, although he explained, really not time for this yet. Uh, But 
since Mama asked, he took care of it. So uh, that's who asked about the first one. We're glad you've been with us today. We're going to come back next week and try to answer some more questions. Uh, we hope you can get back to be with us then. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.